listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. It is good to see you. I hope you are doing well this morning. Uh, My name is Clint. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors on our staff. I know it's hard to tell me apart from the other guy who normally preaches, but I felt the need to introduce myself. Um, Back in January, we started a a sermon series in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. So if you haven't already and you have a Bible around you, I would love for you to turn there. Um, uh, We are in chapter 20 still. Uh, This is the fourth week. And the reason why is because of how significant chapter 20 is. This is the first time God gives his people what we call the Ten Commandments. And there are, if you're familiar with the Bible, 20 more chapters to go. In Exodus, and everyone let a sigh of relief. Actually, we're gonna, we're gonna speed up, okay? So we're gonna get through the back half of this book rather quickly. Um, but Exodus 20 is where we get the 10 Commandments. And so when we think about the 10 Commandments, it's important for us to think about them rightly. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, um, but it's important for us to think rightly about the 10 Commandments. There's a couple ways that we uh, think wrongly or incorrectly about God's law in general, but specifically about the 10 Commandments. The first way is that we just dismiss it altogether, all right? We think it doesn't apply to us anymore. This was thousands of years ago, thousands of years before Jesus was even born. So what does this have to do with me? We just dismiss it, right? And the problem with that is in Luke chapter 24, Jesus actually says that all the law, all the prophets, all the Psalms, the Old Testament, it's about me. That's what he says, which means for us, if you're a Christian in this room, you would consider yourself Christian, which means Christ follower, It means that you don't have the right to just dismiss anything that he would say is about him. So some of us, we don't try to dismiss it altogether. We just get rid of the parts we don't like, right? Or the parts that we are struggling to obey at any given time in our lives. So we read, don't murder, don't commit adultery, check. Those can stay. Got no problem with those being in God's law for me. But then we read, hey, uh, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, And you go, yeah, 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 there's gotta be an asterisk here somewhere, where's my name in the back of the book, right? Surely God knows about my schedule. Keep the Sabbath day holy, yeah, that can't apply to me. I don't really like that one because I got a deadline, right? So we pick and choose which one we want to obey. And here's the thing about that. We call these the 10 commandments for a reason. It's not the 10 commendations, okay? It's not 10 things that the God of the universe, the creator God, the one who right now, we just sang it, they're angels surrounding them, the scriptures teach, ascribing glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The God of the universe says, hey, here's some things that I would recommend for you to do, but it, only if you agree. No, this is the God of the universe with 10 commandments, right? A framework from the creator on how life works best. And he's the one who knows, which leads us to another way we think wrongly is that we treat them as a ladder that God gives us so that we can climb our way to him, right? We think about it this way, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but we think about a relationship with God or or Christianity through this lens of do better, try harder, right? If I want God to love me, if I want him to uh, approve of me and think of me as a child, then I have to obey or else. And we bring this mentality into the 10 Commandments as if it were a way for us to climb into the arms of God's love. Our obedience to God's law, his commandments, this is how we prove ourselves to him. This is how we show him that we deserve his love. And and the Bible actually says that the Ten Commandments and all the law of God are, are the actual opposite. They don't exist as a way for us to show how strong and worthy of his love we are. They exist to show us how strong we're not so that God's power can be made perfect in our weakness. So the law 
It's not a ladder that we use to climb our way to God. It's a mirror that reveals our sin. And it shows us our need for a savior. It's a mirror, right? You ever wake up in the morning and you hurt? Not because you're injured, but just because you've been sleeping, right? Uh, I don't know when that day comes, but it's here for me. I think maybe sooner I have a theory. You know, if you have a little beagle, it might live 17 years. If you had a great day, it ain't lasting that long. You know what I mean? So I have a theory that like it just hit me sooner. So anyways, I wake up. I'm hurting in the morning. I, I had a conversation with my wife literally this week. I said, I said, is our bed too soft? Like, is that even a thing? Like, I think it's too soft because it hurts my back, but it may be, right? So if you know, let me know. But you make your way to the mirror, you're hurting. You get there and you look in the mirror and you come face to face with the reality that this is what you look like now. <laughs> this is it, right? And it's discouraging. You're like, gosh, when did this happen? Like, this is who I am, all right? All of me, okay? Mirrors tell the truth about who we are. And this is what Jesus means in Luke 24. He says, all the law is about me, meaning it exists to point us to him, to show us how strong he is, not how strong we are. And it means that we can't just dismiss it. It's not a ladder that we use to climb our way to him. There's a mirror that reminds us of our complete inability to climb our way to God. And yet God, in his grace and his mercy, in and through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ, he comes to us. God's expectation isn't do better, try harder. It's I will come to you. This is why in verse two, before God gives him the law, gives his people the law, he says this, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before God gives him the law to obey, he wants them to hear this. It's not up to you to earn my love. That's what he wants them to know. So if that's true, why then does God give us the law? It's not for us to earn our way for anything, right? Why does he give it? Well, it's not only a mirror revealing our need for a savior, it's also this beautiful picture for how life works best. The creator God is showing us a picture. You're not good enough, but here's the way to go. This is the invitation into the way that life works best, right? So think about it uh, like this. One morning, uh, a few weeks ago, my oldest son was up. I walk out there to get a cup of coffee and he's watching cartoons. Don't know how long he's been there. Could have been all night, all right? But he's watching TV. And so I said, hey, buddy, um, what would you like for breakfast? And he said, I think I'll have a popsicle. He said, no, you can't have a popsicle. Well, why, right? So he's, he's very argumentative. He wants to negotiate with everything. So he asked me, well, why can't he have a popsicle? And I said, because, son, it's 7 a.m., okay? Now, there's a lot of other reasons why he shouldn't have a popsicle for breakfast, but I tell him because it's 7 a.m. So he says, okay, well, then he asks, well, then can I have a fruit snack? No. Well, why? Because it's 7 a.m., right? And so my guess is, in that moment, the law of his father felt like an infringement on his freedoms. The law of his father in that moment felt like he was, I was trying to rob him of joy. I was trying to take steal from him life, right? But here's the thing. If I let him, he would probably eat a popsicle for breakfast every single day of his life. But I don't. I'm sure he would love that. I'm sure in the moment it would bring him joy, but I don't. Why? Because I know more about how life works than he does because he's five. And I know that in the end, if he has a popsicle every single day of his life, it's, it's not gonna end the way that he wants it to. So I don't let him do it because I know more than he does how life works best. And, and sometimes he asks me, uh, Daddy, why do you always say no? Which is a horrible conversation, right? Um, and my goal is to not say no, just not out of convenience, but because it's what's best for him. And so, so when he asks me, hey, why do you always say no? It's because, hey, Daddy, Daddy sometimes says that, no, not because I hate you, even though it feels that way, it's because I love you. 
It's because I know that this is how life works best. And the reason why I tell you this story is because I wanna ask you a question. If that is true for me and my five-year-old son, that I know more how life works best, how much more true is that about the God of the universe and his children? And so we think God's stealing from us, his no. We feel like he's just out to get us, out to rob us of of joy and life in, in, in our world, right? But in reality, it's because he knows how life works best. God's not trying to rob you of anything. He's not trying to give you a list of rules that you could earn his love and approval. God's law, his yes and his no, his yes to you and his no to you are an invitation from a good father into the way that life works best. And in Matthew 22, Jesus is having a conversation with some of the religious leaders of his day and they ask him a question. They say, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And what they mean is, Seems like you know how life works best. So there's 613 commands, right? Thou shalt not, thou shalt, all these things. Which one's the most important? And Jesus says what? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment, right? He says, this is it. You center, put this in the center of your life that you would love God with everything you've got. And then he says, but there's a second thing like it. And it's you love your neighbor as yourself. And the point there is that if you put loving God at the center of your life, the natural byproduct, the natural outflow of that is that you will love the people around you. So this is what Jesus says. And then he says in verse 40, on these two, loving God and loving neighbor, depend all the law and the prophets. Meaning all of it can be summed up into these two things, love God and love neighbor. And as you look at the 10 commandments, what becomes clear is that they can be broken up into these same two categories, right? Loving God, loving neighbor. The first four are about loving God. The last six of the 10 commandments are about loving your neighbor. And each of these last six, they address a specific category of our lives. And so as we think as as Christ followers about what it looks like to love God and love our neighbors ourselves, particularly love our neighbors ourselves, we need to look at commandments five through 10. So the first thing that God says in verse 12 is honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. The first word in Jesus's mind when it comes to loving your neighbor is the word honor. All right, and this word can literally mean weight, to be weighty, to be heavy, and the idea is respecting people, give them the weight they deserve. But some of us, as summer's approaching, we may wanna be less honorable than we already are, less weighty, less heavy, but that's not the point, right? Loving your neighbor starts with, with a general posture towards people of honor and respect. Honor and respect toward people, that, that we would not see them as commodities to be consumed for our own personal gain but they're image bearers of God with inherent value and worth, right? And what is in view here, this is the important part. What is in view here is all people, all people, regardless of race or gender or socioeconomic status or their political affiliations or religious beliefs or the way they cut you off in traffic on the way to church this morning. All people, the the general disposition toward them should be one of honor and respect, right? Um, And And this is one of the places where we we start trying to pick and choose to dismiss the commandments of God in our life, right? So um, it's easy to say, well, surely God doesn't believe that the way that life works best is for me to honor my boss because that guy's a dirtbag. I'm not talking about me because I love my boss, okay? Don't tell him, he's not here this weekend. Just in general, it's easy to think, surely the way that life works best, God doesn't think it's the, that I would honor the people down the street who have that sign in their yard that we really disagree with. Surely God isn't talking about those people, right? It's easy for us to dismiss this. And what we try to do is we try to justify the, we, us giving people a lack of honor. We try to justify it because we don't think they deserve it. 
as if we are the final arbiter on who's right and who's wrong, who's worthy and deserving of our honor and respect. And God is saying, no, 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 that's me. I set the agenda. I want you to honor all people, right? And it's easy to, to kind of start to justify this because when you read this and you go, hey, where are you getting this? Because all verse 12 said was honor your father and mother and I love my mama, all right? So I'm good. The re- where I'm getting this is there's a pattern in the 10 commandments. And what God is doing is he is casting a vision for the way life works best. This is how you love God. This is how you love your neighbor. I'm casting a vision for the way life works best. And the way he does that is by giving an example of one of the most destructive ways to operate in that category of life. That's what the 10 commandments are doing, right? So let me show you this. It's the same way, um, or, or the, the commandment here, the point in, in number five is honor people. It starts at home, it starts with your parents, and then it flows out from there. And if you can't honor even your own parents, how are you ever gonna honor a stranger or a neighbor, right? Commandment six is the same way. God says in verse 13, you shall not murder. And the point isn't just Make sure you don't physically take someone's life, right? The point is that you would have a heart that's free from anger that might even lead you to that thing, right? It's deeper. There's a deeper component of obedience to this. And Jesus makes this clear in the Sermon on the Mount. The the category that the sixth commandment is talking about is addressing how we use our power. How do you use the power that you are given by God? And, And the example given of the most destructive way or one of the most destructive ways to use our power is to take someone's life. And God says, no, 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 there's a better way. He's casting a vision for us to live our life. Not that we would take life from people with our power, but that we would willingly lay our power down, lay our lives down for the people around us. This is the vision that God is giving us for the way that life works best. Verse 14, seventh commandment, same way. You shall not commit adultery. Just like the other two, there's a deeper obedience that God is going after here, right? The goal isn't, hey, just don't physically cheat on your spouse and you're fine, but everything up to that is is good. No, there's a deeper obedience. And the the category this is talking about is the sexual ethic that should govern our lives. Bill talked about this a couple weeks ago. The the goal is not just, hey, don't commit adultery, but hey, what what if you could actually be free from the lust that exists in your heart? This is the vision that a good father is casting and compelling us to as his people. And what I wanna do with the rest of our time is, is a look at commandments eight, nine, and 10 and talk about what does this mean for us as believers in Jesus? Like if we wanna follow him, if we wanna love God with, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we wanna love our neighbors or self, what does this mean for us, right? So look with me at commandment number eight in verse 15. God says, you shall not steal. You shall not steal, right? That seems pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Actually, in the original language, it's even more simple. It's just two words, and and so maybe a better translation would be no stealing. This is what God's saying for us, okay? No stealing, and there's no gymnastics, nothing to try to figure out. It sounds exactly like what it means. As God is casting a vision for this is the way that life works best, he says, don't take anything from someone else that doesn't rightly belong to you, all right? And remember earlier, we said that the law of God is a mirror, that it reveals to us who we really are. It shows us the depth of our sin and our desperation for a savior outside of ourselves, right? It is a mirror. So, so what does this say about us that our God would say, hey, when you think about loving your neighbor yourself, you wanna honor all people and, and, and tell you what, don't steal. What does that say about us that he would say you shall not steal? Here, here's an example. When I leave the house for work in the morning, I usually say, I love you, okay, That's, 
crazy, I know. I used to tell my kids, hey, I love you guys. And then I had a friend who lost his father way too early, but his dad, for years, always told him this, have fun and do your best. And I love that. I want my kids to have fun. I want them to do their best. And so I usually tell them that. And then I say some version of this, hey, be kind to your brother and listen to your mother. And it rhymes, so that's bonus points, all right? So I always say that to, to our boys. Be kind to your brother and listen to your mother. You know what I don't say to them? Hey, make sure later on you ask your mom for dessert. I don't say that because they don't need that reminder from me, okay? By God's grace, I also don't even say, hey, be kind to your sister because right now they don't need that reminder either. But I do say be kind to your brother and listen to your mother because they need that reminder, right? And this is what God's doing. God says to us, no stealing because this is how life works best. It's a mirror for us to look into that reveals the wickedness living in us because what sort of people need to be told, hey, don't steal anything? Thieves, thieves. And some people just kind of did a little wallet tap. I said, I didn't know there were thieves at this church. Where's my purse at, right? Well, maybe you don't have to look as far as you think to find a thief in this church. What we need to realize is there's a deeper obedience to the eighth commandment here as well. It's not just talking about pickpockets or stealing someone's car, right? This is also talking about that little thing in you that it comes up when you're doing your taxes. Anybody do your own taxes, right? TurboTax, it pops up. Hey, do you have any charitable contributions this year? I think I did, yeah. You fill it in there, you put everything that you know to do. I don't have a receipt for this, but I mean, I did it, so here you go. And then it says, are you done? I don't know, am I? Right, because you see the number going down and you feel this temptation of going, well, who's it really hurting anyways? And it's so easy, or it's so interesting to see how quickly we can justify what is ultimately stealing from the government. Right, when we think, well, they've taken a lot from me, so I'm gonna get some back in April, okay? Or we think, I didn't vote for that guy anyways, to justify us essentially taking from the government. There's a deeper obedience component to this as well. You ever take credit for something you didn't do? You ever try to work the system a little bit at a restaurant? What do you have to drink? Ah, just water. Get to the machine, you go, do I really want water? I think I'll take some Coke here, okay? They charge too much for this anyways, we justify it. It doesn't matter how much they charge for it, that's their decision. If you decide to take it without paying for it, you've stolen, all right? This is the, the subtle ways that this creeps into our lives. How about this one? You ever watch Netflix on someone else's account? And you're like, not today, don't go there, okay? <laughs> Do not go there. But again, it's easy to pick and choose here try to justify our way into doing what we wanna do. Say, so, come on, man, everybody does that. Everybody shares their password for Netflix. Two things on that. Firstly, God doesn't say, hey, don't steal from anyone unless they can afford it. No. He says, don't steal. And then secondly, I'm pretty sure it is hurting someone because I did one Google search this week and I read that Netflix alone, not the other streaming services, but Netflix alone loses an estimated $6 billion a year because of password sharing. That's a lot of stealing, right? So, so when you start going down that road, you don't have to go very far to realize why God gives us this law. And just like other commandments, this one is addressing a specific category of life. And what God is doing here is he's saying, this is how you should interact with money and possessions. There's a better way. He's casting a vision for the way life works when you think about money and possessions. And the example that he gives of the most destructive way to think about money and possessions is to take something that doesn't belong to you. Right? But, but the vision he's given us goes a lot deeper than don't steal. Look at this, Philipp, or Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul says in verse 28, let, no, let the thief no longer steal. Sounds a lot like the eighth commandment, right? Don't steal. But rather, he says, let him labor, 
doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So Paul says the solution to stealing is not that all money and possessions are worthless and we should reject them all or we should all be lazy because we don't want to take anything that doesn't belong to us. No, he says, I want you to work hard. The better way instead of stealing is I want you to work hard. I want you to to strive and to, to, to make whatever, to get those things, have them, but here's why, so that you can have for yourself and have the ability to share with the people around you who have needs. This is what Paul's saying. This is what I meant about the eighth commandment, shaping how we view money and possessions. It's not just don't take what doesn't belong to you. It's work hard and live open-handed with the resources that you have because ultimately you know that all that belongs to God anyways. Work hard and live generously. That's what the eighth commandment is saying to us. Let's look at the ninth commandment, verse 16. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So growing up, Um, you probably heard that the ninth commandment is essentially do not lie. That's what was on the wall in my second grade classroom in elementary school, okay? Do not lie, ninth commandment. That's what God says. There's some truth to that, but that's not exactly what he says, right? So the immediate context for the ninth commandment is a testimony given under oath. So don't bear false witness against your neighbor. He's talking about a testimony given under oath. Think of a courtroom And at this point in history, no CSI shows, right? Not a lot of forensic science going on in this. And so if someone were on trial for a crime, the primary way to determine what actually happened is by the testimony of a witness. So your testimony, whether false or true, carried a lot of weight on how the case worked out. They could end up in prison. Those people could end up in uh, being, you know, even death. And so just like the other commandments, the point of the ninth commandment is not just, hey, don't ever lie under oath because that would be a pretty easy thing to do. I've never been under oath, so I'm good, right? That's not the point. The ninth commandment is addressing the category of the way that we use our words. Talking about how do you use your words, and the example given here is, is of one of the most destructive ways you could ever use your words. If you lied under oath that ended in someone's imprisonment or death, right? But the, but the idea here is, is how do we use our words, right? And we, and we saw this earlier, but the, but the point of the ninth commandment is that our words matter. Our words matter. Our God is a God who speaks. We saw it earlier in verse one, right? And God spoke all these words, all of creation. You read Genesis one and two. Why does it exist? Because God spoke. Our God is a, a speaking God. We know who he is because he has spoken to us and revealed to us who he is. What's he say to Moses in the book of Exodus? He shows up in the burning bush and he speaks to them. He tells them, I am who I am, right? John even refers to Jesus as the very word of God, meaning that Jesus is the actual and physical culmination of all of God's speaking. Jesus is the word of God. I want you to see this, John 1. In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. The word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God. All things that were made were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. God speaking through uh, Jesus as the active agent, right? John 1 verse 14 says, and the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what I meant earlier when I said that the law of God isn't a ladder that God gives us so we can climb our way to him. No, it's a mirror. It shows us our complete inability and yet the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus comes down to us. God doesn't say, hey, pull it together. He says, I come to you. This is the good news of the gospel, right? Somebody should have said amen right there. So not only is Jesus the word, he is the true word. 
Jesus even says this about himself. In John 14, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, which means that not only should we embrace that our words matter, but that our words should be truthful, right? He is the word, he is the true word. Our words matter to God, but the truth matters to God. And as image bearers of God, you and I have been given the the responsibility to be stewards of our tongues. Your words matter, all of them. Whether it's an email about whatever, or a text about whoever, or the snide remark behind their back, the things you say under your breath, the things you think, the things you proclaim, the things I say on this stage and everywhere in between. Your words matter. In Ephesians 4, as Paul is talking about what the Christian looks like, this is the life of the Christian. He says, therefore, put away falsehood. We reject lies. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. He says in verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. None. No corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for what? Building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So the point of the ninth commandment is not just don't lie, but your words matter. And so the question that you need to answer today as you wanna be obedient to this command, this category of life is how do you use your words? For building up or for tearing down? How do you use your words? The apostle Paul says that one of the distinguishing marks of the Christian is that we would embrace the truth. We'd speak the truth with our neighbor. Uh, Look at the 10th commandment, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So the 10th commandment says, do not covet. Do not covet. And, And this word covet, it means to take pleasure or to delight in. And and the the issue is not finding delight in something or someone or taking pleasure in something or someone. That's not the issue. Remember, God is not out to rob you of anything. His commands are an invitation into the best life possible for you. So the issue is not desiring to find joy in things. The issue is when you desire to find joy in things that your neighbor has that you don't. That's the issue. That's coveting, right? Right? And what's interesting about the 10th commandment is that all the other neighbor, love your neighbor commandments are outside in. So the example given is an external example and it has an internal reality, right? So he says, don't murder. That's an external action. But the internal reality that leads us to that is anger. It's outside in. Same thing with lust and adultery. This is different though. The 10th commandment is inside out. It deals directly with the heart first. It's like God is just at the end of the 10th commandment just saying, hey, let's cut to the chase. Here's what I'm after. And what a great reminder again for us to to know that God's, what what he wants from us is not just begrudging obedience. Like what parent would want that from their kids? They're gonna do what you say, but they don't want to. God's not just after our external obedience. He's after the affections of our hearts. He desires for us to draw near to him, to enjoy a relationship with him, to actually trust that he's a good father and he knows best and what's, what's gonna work for us in our life. So this commandment is inside out. The commandment goes straight for our hearts. And on that invitation from this good father, he ends it by saying this, do not covet. Do not covet. And he kind of lists out what we shouldn't covet. Don't covet what your neighbor has that you do not have. He says, not their house, not their spouse. That covers a big range of things. Not their house, not their spouse. Not even the things around their house. Like for me, when I was reading this, I go, not even their lawn. So you look across at your neighbor's, your neighbor's lawn, you go, man, how nice would it be to have a yard like that, right? Not even that. 
It says not their male servants or their female servants. And I was like, well, I don't have any male servants or female servants. Well, what about the people they hire to keep their lawn looking like that? The guy comes by every week, cuts the grass, edges it perfectly. I'm out there just, you know, you ever weeded it before? That'll get you to anger real quick, you know? <laughs> Again, the guy comes by every six weeks, true green. Their male servants, their female servants, the people they hire to keep their house clean, right? Not their ox or their donkey. That's their car or their boat or their golf cart or whatever toy they have that you wish you had. And just because he knows, God knows that we're gonna try to loop, figure our way out around this, you know? Say, well, God said, not, he said not their house and spouse and their ox and donkey, really apply to me. I'm trying to find a loophole. He didn't say don't covet this. God says, or anything that's your neighbor's, just in case you were trying to find your way out of that. And it's easy to think to us right now, why is this such a big deal? Like there's only 10 commandments, not that many. Why would God end it with do not covet? Why is it so important to him? Why does he care that I want a yard like my neighbor's, right? The problem isn't desiring a nicer lawn or car or house or whatever. That's not coveting. The problem begins when your desire for a nicer lawn or car or house or whatever switches from, man, it would be nice to have that to, I couldn't possibly be happy or satisfied in life unless I have that thing. That's when your desires shift from a good thing, right? It's not bad to see someone who has things because they've worked hard and had enough and been generous. It's not bad to see that and be motivated by it and to chase after it. What's bad is you go, I cannot possibly be happy. I must have that thing. That's coveting, right? You know, um, it's that or, or, or when your desires become, your desires become coveting when you see somebody who has something and you didn't want it until you saw that they had it, right? Like two boys I've mentioned before, five and three years old. You know what? Almost all the time, you know what their favorite toy is? Whatever their brother has, right? It's just innate in us. And, and we can laugh about that because that's just kids, but we do it too, right? You were happy with your job until you found out they got a promotion, your car was just fine until someone pulls up in a newer model, right? We see what other people have and we think we have to have it too, right? There are, there are two reasons why coveting is such a big deal to God. It's because coveting is breaking down, it's the unraveling of both of the commandments that Jesus gives in Matthew 22 when he says, love God and love your neighbor. It's both of those, that's the two reasons. Because when you covet, you are desiring, you are believing that there is something or someone other than God that can satisfy the deep longings of your heart. Someone else has it, you don't have it, and you need it, and that is the breaking of the first commandment. Don't worship false gods. It's the unraveling of loving God. It's also the breaking of loving neighbor. It is impossible to love your neighbor when you covet what they have and you don't because you will inevitably allow the desire for what they have to get in the way of you being able to love them. So no matter what you try to do to love them, you're always gonna see them through the lens of, must be nice, isn't it? Must be nice to have a lawn like that. Must be nice to have the house like that or the boat or that promotion or whatever. Coveting is a breaking down a love of God and a love of neighbor. Here's how you can know if you're coveting. You ever watch HDTV? Put your hand up. It's okay. You're a coveter. <laughs> Kidding, okay? Kind of, kind of. You're like, first Netflix and now Chip and Joanna, we're doing this today? <laughs> really, okay, never come back to this church. Um, I'm kidding, kind of, but, but really, HGTV, the whole network, commercials, all of it, what does it do? It's saying, hey, how much better would your life be with these countertops? How much happier would, would the meal be if you had a dining room like that, right? What about these appliances? If they were stainless, you know I mean? You could wash dishes a lot better. Like, it's just presenting to us a better life. And we can joke about it, but we, we buy that lie. We do. But here's really how you can know if you have a healthy desire or if you're coveting. 
The first one, two questions, they're pretty close. Will, will you sin to get it? It's a good chance you're coveting if you will sin to get it. If you want something so bad that you will willingly sin to get it, it's a good chance you're coveting. And the other one's pretty similar. It's will you sin if you don't get it? You want something so bad that when it doesn't come through for you that you'll, you'll sin. So you're a hard worker, show up early every day, you're busting everyone. Man, you guy's always happy, always the best personality. What a great employee, what a great you know, teammate, whatever. And then you find out so-and-so got a promotion you didn't. What happens? It's a good chance you're coveting if you'll sin when you realize that you don't get something. And like the other commandments, the 10th commandment is addressing a specific category of our lives. So do not steal, we mentioned was, this is how you relate to money and possessions. And do not covet it. This is how you relate to money, possessions, relationships, whatever that you don't have, but other people do. That's what the 10th commandment is addressing. And so coveting oftentimes is what leads us to steal. It's what leads us to lie or leads us to anger and murder, adultery, lust. It's what leads us to do those things. And there's a common thread that connects all of these. Because the point of the 10th commandment is not just don't desire what other people have. The point of the 10th commandment, and this is why God puts it last, because it can lead to all other things. The point of the 10th commandment is this, pursue contentment in the Lord. That you would actually find and pursue contentment in God, not in the things that he has created. All right, here's what I mean. Why do we steal? Not you, because you're not a thief, but the other people. Why do people steal? Probably a bunch of reasons, but I think the root of them all is because we want something that we think we need in order to make us satisfied and we can't get it, and so we take it. Why do we lie? Again, probably a bunch of reasons, but at the root of all of them, we lie because we value so highly what other people think of us that we think they couldn't possibly love and accept us unless we pretend who we really are. We posture ourselves and we feel the need to lie, to pretend that we're someone we're not. Why do we covet? Why do we covet what our neighbor has that we don't have? Because ultimately we don't believe that the plan of God is what's best for us, that what God has for us is what's best. We think we know better than he, he does what's gonna satisfy the deep longings of our heart and so we spend our lives looking over the fence. This is why God puts it in the 10 commandments and he puts it last because it can lead to all other things. It's the unraveling of loving God. It's the unraveling of loving neighbor. He says, do not covet because I don't want you to spend your life looking over the fence going, man, how much better would my life be if this husband, this sorry guy was like that one? How much better would my life be if our kids were like that or we could afford vacations like they go on or whatever? So this is a covetous heart, right? Then, if we had all those things and our lives would finally be what we want them to, then we could finally be happy. And you know what is so silly and heartbreaking about all of this? I had this thought this week when I was writing this. My guess is every single one of us in this room, almost, we believed some point in our past that if we could just have what we have today, then we would finally be satisfied. Almost every single one of us have had that thought. If I could just get married, if I could just make this much money, if we could just live in this neighborhood, if we just got a membership to whatever club, if only then I would be happy. And then here you are today and you have all those things and yet you're still believing the lie that more of what you already have is what's missing in your life. This is a covetous heart. There was a day in our lives where we believed that if we could just have what we have now, then we would finally be satisfied. And there's this thread that connects all the 10 commandments and it's this, it's this word contentment. 
Contentment, finding contentment in the Lord. Paul talks about it in Philippians 4. We'll do this quick, verse 12. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and he does. When he writes this, he's in prison. He's been beaten with an inch of his life. He knows what it means to be brought low. He says, I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned what? The secret of facing plenty and hunger, the abundance of need. He says, I know how to ride high, private jets, going to people's house, someone else's dime. They're paying for $100 steaks. I know how to abound. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to live in a prison cell where the only food I get is if someone brings it to me, and it's probably not that good. I know how to do it. He says, I know the secret. I found where joy and satisfaction in life supersedes all life circumstances. He says, I know the secret, and he's gonna tell us. Here it is, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. This word through is the same word in. It's this biblical idea of being positionally in Jesus. It means that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you as a failure, as a sinner. He sees you with the righteousness of Jesus. That means he fully loves you, fully delights in you, that that Jesus, the Son of God, eternal Son of God, came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for your sins. On the third day, he rose again, giving you forever right standing with God as a son or a daughter, as an heir of the king of the universe. And Paul says, there, I can do all things. In that place, I I know how to abound. In that place, I know how to be brought low. The, The issue is not, I'd rather live in prison the rest of my life, no. He's saying that I can do it. Because God has given me all that in Jesus. So you can give me whatever you want and take whatever you want. It's not gonna change this. The ledger of my account is overflowing. That's his point. The secret, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. True contentment can't come from the things of this world, but from the creator, the creator God. And if you're truly content, if you believe that God will provide for all of your needs, you don't have to steal if you're truly, if you believe and trust that God's a good father, that he approves of you in Jesus, you don't have to lie and pretend you're someone you're not. If you truly believe you're content in God, that he is a good father, that his plan for you is best, that he's not trying to rob anything from you, then you don't have to be jealous of his plan for someone else's life. Stealing, lying, and coveting, ultimately, you know what they are? They are accusations against God that his plan isn't good enough, that he's not enough, and if he would just get it together, then you could finally be happy. And we lie and pretend because we think we know better and we steal because we got a better plan for us. And there are accusations against the God of the universe, a good father. Paul says, forget that, I know the secret. This world does not have what you're looking for. It's not more of what you already have that's gonna bring you contentment in the deep places of your soul. It's I can do all things through Christ, in him. Now I want you to see this. Verse 18, Exodus 20, and we'll be done. And now... When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet, right? This is God speaking. If you remember the context as the 10 commandments are given, there's some crazy stuff happening on the mountain. So much so the mountain is smoking and the people were afraid. I would say so. You would run from that. If there was an earthquake, you'd try to find a place. Like you would run from this. They trembled and they stood far off and they say to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen but don't let God speak to us lest we die. This is a heartbreaking reality that most of us live in, that we are, we are interested in obeying God because we know that if we don't, it's not gonna go that good for us, but we're 0% interested in having a relationship with him. You tell me what he wants me to do, pastor, and I'll do it, but I don't, I don't wanna draw near. I'm gonna stand far off, right? Look what he says, verse 20. And Moses says to the people, hey, don't, don't fear. God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin, but the people stood far off. 
and Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. It looks scary, man. The darkness is thick. I don't wanna go in there. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. This is the game we play, so many of us, right? Do what I wanna do, but I'm also gonna do what God wants to do. And I want you to, I want you to see what's happening here. Moses was the, the mediator between God and Israel, right? His job was to go to God on behalf of the people. And what's he tell them? Don't be afraid. You can come. He's invited us in. Come in. But what do they do? They stay far off because he was the mediator of what the Bible calls the old covenant. And we don't have time to go there, but if you read the book of Hebrews, in chapter three, Hebrews says that Jesus is the greater Moses. Hebrews eight says that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, that he is the great high priest, that he goes to God in a way that doesn't leave us standing off in fear. In chapter 10, just real quick, this will be on the screen. Chapter 10 says this about the new covenant. Therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. This is a solution for the thief in you, for the liar in you, for the coveter in you. As you draw near to Jesus. It's not up to you to do enough, to be enough, to climb the ladder to God. Jesus says, no, no, I've already come to you. I've torn the curtain that separates you and me, covered by the blood of Jesus. You have been invited into relationship. Church, let us not be a people who are content to just obey God and yet have no relationship with him. Let us not be content to stay there. God doesn't give us a ladder. He points us to our need for a savior and he provides for that need over and above and he invites us. He said, hey, you can trust me. This is the way that life works best. Will you line your life up with the way that I say that you should live it? He gives us an invitation to draw near to the throne of grace, to trust and obey a good father. And I just wanna end you with this. You draw near to God, you can go with confidence that he will not reject you, ever. Because his acceptance of you isn't based on what you do, it's based on what Christ has done. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful. Even when we have pastors that talk well into lunchtime, we're thankful for your grace, for your kindness, your mercy to us, God. Praise your name that you have provided for us in Jesus. Thank you that we can abandon the search of what's gonna satisfy us in our lives. Help us to be people who can honestly say, I found the secret. Facing plenty, facing hungry, God, help us. We need your help. As we sing, God, would your spirit be with us? Would you hear these songs from us as you and you alone deserve? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.